1: All right, my guest today in the A Game Podcast is Tiffany High of Heels Homes. She is an absolute real estate ninja. Uh, looks very unassuming, but takes zero shit. I see her <laughs> um, I like it. So she's absolutely killing it in the Columbus market, a couple of other markets, pulling in six figures every month. Um, always there on the front lines. I've been learning a lot of stuff from her. I really appreciate you getting on. Um, I'll let you do a quick intro on uh, who you are and what you do, but you are. Definitely one of the powerhouses out there in wholesaling right now, especially with all the coronavirus stuff going on. I see that you're just keeping your head down, you're on the front lines, you really have your pulse on what's happening, you're really being proactive, you're being efficient, you're hitting things head on. And um, I think at a time when a lot of other people are just making excuses or looking for information, you're you're getting things done. And I, I really respect that and appreciate that. So um tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do.
0: Well, thanks for the introduction. Those are some kind words. Um So I'm Tiffany High. I own Heels Homes alongside my husband, Josh High, here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, We started out in the business a few years ago as rehabbers. Um, We actually started out doing a lot of subject two deals, how we got started in the business with no money. Um, And then from there, after doing about 40 rehabs our first year, we realized that we were more talented at scaling wholesaling. So uh, the second year, we did about 160 or 163 wholesales. Um, I would say about 80% of those, 75, 80% of those were assignments. And um, this year we've actually changed up our strategy quite a bit, thankfully, because it's working out in our benefit during this time period. Um, we are doing about 75% what we call wholesales, where we just close them, put them on the market, or we close them, put about 10, 15 grand of work into them, and then list them. And then the other 25% of our deals are assignments. Um, and yeah, I mean this COVID-19 has obviously put a little bit of everyone in the industry in shock. Um, so we have definitely been taking a lot of, um, I would say proactive decision-making and preps that this could last for six, eight, 10 months. Um, and we can go over that as we go through this today, if you'd like, um, or I can let you know now and some of the decisions we're making, but we, um, we also own a rental portfolio. So I know every landlord in the country right now is a little bit shaky for April 1st. And every month after that through this, um, we are very fortunate that we have uh, really made sure we had a, a cash reserve set aside during this time period. Um, and we have a lot of uh, Fannie Freddie type loans. Um, fortunately, the government is Anyone that's got a Fannie Freddie loan right now most likely can defer their payments for three to four months. Um, So I definitely recommend any landlord out there that has a Fannie Freddie loan, even if you're okay today and your tenants are going to pay rent, definitely use that to defer because you don't know if they're going to lose their job in one or two months and you want to be able to be prepared for it. Um, so yeah, we're taking a lot of action right now, um, cutting things that are fluff in our company and making sure we're staying lean and proactive for what's to come.
1: I love that. I think it's smart business. So um, I want to cover all that stuff, but backing, backing up to who you are and where you started from. Um, I know you told me the story a little bit, but you come from a corporate background. You were doing something totally different that I believe wasn't related to real estate at all. So I always like to hear a little bit about what got you into the business and you know, especially wholesaling, flipping and things like that, it's it's not an easy business, but you seem to have come in and really adapted to it. And you're one of the few people out there that I see took this and actually treated it like a business. And that's why I think that you're going to be successful and ride out this way where a lot of other people that are don't really have systems down and they're not really understanding how to pivot, which has been one of the things that I've really been trying to keep a big pulse on you for because we run in a lot of the same circles and I see a lot of people don't necessarily switch their their business model. they don't adjust things on the fly they don't really know how to change things that are working or not working and because you're in it every day, it's the other thing is to see a lot of people who' detached from their business they like to be the face, they like to be the person on social media but they're not actually on the phones. they don't actually really know what's going on with the buyers and you do and I, and I really feel like of all the people that are out there right now, you're one of the people that gives the most up-to-date information. On what's happening and you learn to adjust with it and you don't get on it. you don't bitch and complain about stuff you make things happen you see what works you give that information and um anybody who's not following you on social media obviously I'll give them all those links but the things you've been giving I think is some of the best content out there so um what what kind of background did you come from and what attracted you to real estate and you know piggybacking off of that question um coming into it like that what made you start to take it on as a business and less as a hobby because I really don't see a lot of people do that. I see a lot of people go, real estate's a great way for me to get rich. And they come in and they go, ah, too hard, too many moving pieces, I'm out. Or they just run their business like crap, their business fails, and then they blame somebody else.
0: Yep. Um I'll tell you one thing, COVID-19 is going to get rid of everyone who isn't running their business like an actual business. Uh, so I was in the corporate life for about 10 years. Um I started with an two oil companies. I was the head of US trading for gasoline and diesel for um, an international company. So uh I'll definitely be jumping in the stock market soon because I did that for a living. Um, so one thing that I really took from trading is, and I trained, I traded physical product across refineries across the country. And literally every single day, a refinery would blow up, a pipeline would shut down, um, pilot got raided by the FBI. And all of a sudden my biggest diesel customer shut down my refinery. These are things that every single day, like we had to adapt to and move product or our refinery would blow up. Um, so like, billions and billions and billions of dollars are on the line when you're trading, whether it's on the stock market or on physical product across any industry. So that made me, um, and actually my rental part, my rental LLC brand is resiliency rentals. And I got it from like the fact that over 10 years I had to be resilient. Um, right. You always have to adapt and you have to make fast decisions. Uh, one thing that like, I know a lot of small businesses, even big businesses right now, they have employees, right? Like, we all have to make tough decisions, but you have to make them fast and you can't just feel bad for whatever you need to do. what's the, you know when you, when you get on a plane, the first thing they say is, even if your kid's sitting next to you, you put the oxygen mask on you first, right? You can't help other people if you're not helping yourself. Um, so that's one thing that these business owners, and I know Grant Cardone, it was yesterday, the day before, just put out a phenomenal video. It's called Employment and Unemployment. And he came out and it was very raw about, you know, the decisions he's had to make um, and giving advice to people that still have jobs that, um, have been laid off different things like that. Um, so from going from trading, I went to work, well, uh, I'm going to keep this short or it'll make me teary eyed, but, um, I had just gotten the head of us trading job. It was probably to this day, still one of my favorite jobs I've ever had, um, making well over six figures and in my mid twenties, it was phenomenal. I love doing it. I love making decisions on the fly. And my 17-year-old brother at the time got diagnosed with cancer. And um, my parents are up from Northwest Ohio and I was in Columbus. And um, when I got the news, like, I, didn't, I made a decision on the fly and I literally hung up the phone, walked straight into my manager's office and said, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. Because um, at the time, I had a big family. My brother and sisters were all in high school and junior high. And, like, I knew my parents, like, I weren't, wasn't going to be able to get through this without help. Um, so at this point, you know, we still didn't know what cancer he had. We didn't know anything. So I made too fast of a decision. Um, but I ended up leaving my job, got in the car, left my house that I owned. They left everything behind, um, went home and, you know, a month or two later, we found out he had to get his leg amputated. Um, little did I know he was actually going to be living in Columbus at Nationwide Children's Hospital. So I wish I would have stayed in Columbus, but it is what it is. Um, I was very fortunate on the drive home. I was bawling my eyes out and an executive from Owens Corning just heard about my story somehow really fast and called me and said, I know your parents live by our headquarters. I need someone with refining experience. Would you be open to taking a job in Toledo as the head of um, asphalt, uh, Asphalt US Roofing at Owens Corning? And I was a mess in the car and I said, I mean, I'll come in. And consider it. And when I went into my interview, I just said, you know, I have priorities during this time. My family is my top priority. So as long as you guys let me make them a priority, like I'll come on board. So I came on board. I oversaw 16 asphalt plants and I literally traveled Monday through Friday out of state and then spent every weekend in the hospital. And one thing that over that course of a full year that my parents never left Ronald McDonald, the one thing I noticed was my parents never left Ronald McDonald for a year. And the reason why they could do that was because they own companies. And um, they would have never been able to be there and never leave a side if it wasn't for that. So I woke up one day. It was Good Friday of 2017. Um, our whole corporation had off work that day. And I called my father. I was, you know, I was with Josh at the time. I didn't even tell him. And I just said, health it. Like, I'm starting my own company. And I have no idea what it's going to be. But I'm quitting my job today. Um, so I woke up. I walked in the office and p- called my manager in from his family outing and just said, "Look, I I got to go take a chance." I said, "I might fail, but like if I fail, will you fi- will you hire me back?" <laughs> so um, they were very good to me about everything. I stayed on for about a month to help them out, and at that time, I had signed up uh, for an educational program. I miserably failed at trying to rehab for six months, and the reason why I failed was because I wasn't consistent. I wasn't consistent at marketing. I would send out campaigns. I wouldn't lock up deals. I'd get scared and stop it. Then I would start a new one. Then I'd get scared and stop it. And that's not how it works. Um, So I got my ass and my butt together on January 1. I think it was 2018 or something. And said, we're either in or we're out. Like, we're either doing this or we're not. So Josh and I really buckled down, worked, you know, he was still working a full-time job. So he would come home from work and he'd work till two in the morning and then leave again in the morning. And we did about 40 rehabs and he finally left his job and we took a chance. Um, And then obviously anyone that does rehabs, you run into contractor problems and all that on your first couple rehabs. We did as well. Um, And that really pushed me towards wholesaling. I had gone to an event. I realized that wholesaling is very systematic. Like you can systemize it and scale it much easier than rehabbing. Um, Because wholesaling is really all about technology, in my opinion. Um, It's about technology and being consistent on the sales side. So I really hunkered down and I focused on learning systems, which really wasn't, I would say, my forte before. But if I wanted to scale wholesaling, it had to become it. So we realized in that first few months of wholesaling that we were winning, but we could probably do better if we were putting the right tools in our employees' hands. You know, we had things like acquisition managers, you know, fighting us on if we said, hey, that call didn't go well, but, but nothing was recorded. Nothing was, we didn't give them the tools to make calls fast, things like that. And track KPIs, like we just, you know, we're winging it in the beginning. So now we run our business based on KPIs. We do the same thing day in, day out, every minute, every hour. So it's very routined everyone has a KPI that they have to hit every day and that hasn't changed regardless of COVID's here. Um, so because of that, you know, the same motivated sellers that were here yesterday, regardless of COVID are still here today. Um, and it's really helped us win. I mean, the biggest challenge we've ran into recently, you know, we're already netting, um, damn near six figures this month, but just this week, I mean, we had 50,000 fallout in assignments cause hard money lenders are dropping out of the game. Um, so we're very fortunate that we changed our strategy and adapted this year because we have several wholesales going on and they are probably our hottest deals on the market. We're getting multiple offers on retail, and thankfully Ohio deemed real estate essential. So we've still been able to operate. They're still doing appraisals, inspections, et cetera. Um, and as of right now, knock on wood. Um, I have not had a tenant say they're not paying rent. Um So we've been fortunate in the sense of who we're renting to and uh, we're just making adjustments to leases and how we handle private money and all that coming up. But, um, really I'm, I'm super glad that over the last year we focused on systemizing the business because if you systemize things like you should be able to outlive this, you might have to adjust how you pay people. You might have to lay people off that maybe necessarily aren't a part of income producing roles but so is everyone in the nation guys. Like you have to do what you need to do to keep your business still here. So that way, when this is over, you can still be employing them and more people.
1: I think that you nailed that. One of the biggest things that I saw a recurring theme throughout that whole story, which I think is a great story. I mean, to me that you, you're going to write a book someday, that whole thing is just amazing in itself. But the the ability to make a decision is one of the things that I've picked up over the last few years for people that run businesses is I've watched as I became somebody who had to have that leadership role and people just look at you and it's like, but like you're supposed to be the boss. And I was like, oh, you just have a bunch of people around you and you rely on them to make decisions because I watch too many people that don't want to make a decision because they're so terrified that they're going to be wrong. So all they do is they leave it up to somebody else and they go, look, whatever you want to do. It's your company. What do you mean? Whatever you want to do. And then you make the decision. And then if something goes wrong, oh, you shouldn't have done that. It's like, well, you didn't say anything when it was your turn to make a decision. And really that's what I found, which Nicole has been a huge part for me of like, you know, as a business owner, it's just like you said, you, you need to make decisions and you need to make quick decisions and you need to make tough decisions and you just need to own them and move on and learn from them. And that's what I really found is that the biggest thing common denominator for the people that I know that are successful in business and in life is just being able to do that. And, you know, again, it's, it's like a muscle, you know, it's, it's not easy at mm-hmm. first, but you, you kind of learn how to do it. So, and I watch you do that and I watch you really just stick to your guns. And I think that's a huge thing, which, uh, I, I don't, have you always had that, that, uh, that kind of hard edge of like, I'm not going to take any shit or did that um. <laughs> kind of get in you from past experiences from the corporate life?
0: Um, So I will say I am very stubborn, hard headed, and can make decisions. One thing I struggled with um, about halfway through last year, I tell the story a lot when I'm helping people because it's powerful. This I think it was second or third quarter of last year. I we were doing really well the first half of the year, so we're like, all right, let's scale this to a whole other level. And we made the decision to hire 12 people immediately, like way too fast on our acquisitions team. And they were very talented salespeople from a similar industry. They sold in education space. Um, and unfortunately, during a three-month time period, every single one of them, um, we had happened to take them from one individual company, um, was on my ass about like, they weren't, land, they were not closing deals. They were, they worked several hours, but I couldn't understand it. And, um, so they kept coming to me saying things like, I need more leads. It's the leads. The leads are bad. You know, it it was an excuse every day. So I freaked out and it got to a point where I thought, I thought maybe it is me. I kept saying, maybe it is me as an owner. And so I was like, with it. I'll 10 X my marketing. I'll, I'll do everything that they say. I'll, I'll do every recommendation. I'll keep them on board. They're not hitting my 30, 60, 90. And guys, remember, like I paid my team basis. So for three months, four months, I'm paying this base out to all this team and it's not producing income. Um, And so I actually, what I did this year was I did an audit of last year, which I do this every year, regardless if I was in corporate or not. Um, I probably got it from corporate life, but I did an audit of last year. And I said, all right, what did I waste money on? What did I make good money on? What decisions were good and bad? And for that three month, three, four month time period, just in that quarter, I wasted $238,000 on unneeded marketing, on, um, mar- launching markets for no reason because people gave me the recommendation and I just took it instead of being smart and analyzing it. And finally, one day I woke up and I thought, wait a second, like I was loving what I was doing and I hate my life right now. Like I hated going to the office. I didn't like who I was working with. I didn't like that people that were working for me were disrespecting me as a leader. And what what ends up happening as a leader is like, if you allow that to happen or you allow things to happen that are against your core values, once you let it happen once, it's it's like it's expected. So they think it's okay. Um, So after that all went down, I literally woke up on a Monday and I said, I would literally rather work at McDonald's than do this. So we're either ending it today, or I'm le- I'm firing myself, like I'm shutting down the doors. So um, we called everyone off that day, and I brought them in one by one and fired every single person that was doing this to me. And um, I bawled my eyes out for a week because I'm a very sensitive person. Um, and then I realized a week later, okay, life moves on, and we're doing great. Like I should have learned to make decisions the right way right away. And if I would have made that decision for four weeks or four months in ahead when I knew that I was, one, I wasn't hiring the right way in the first place. Um, but I made, I made a lot of mistakes. And thankfully, we made enough money last year that I still had a great year. But I could have had one hell of a year if I wouldn't have made those types of mistakes. Um, so I learned a lot of lessons. And what I realized out of that time period was it was time to have a mentor. And, ment- and people surrounding me that haven't just been in the business for like a year or two, right? I needed mentors that were from other industries even that have scaled teams because there's a difference between understanding just the systems and everything. And then hiring ma- employees and managing them is a whole nother beast. Um, so we, we started bringing people back into our lives, or I should say into our lives that have scaled full teams that have managed people and we start taking on their um, structured way of one-on-ones, performance reviews, expectations. So now we have 30, 60, 90 day expectations. And if you don't hit it by day 29, 30, like you are literally let go out of my company. And we can normally know within 14 days. And I don't like I have the stomach now to do that. Cause before any, you know, any owner is afraid to fire their first person. And as you grow as an owner, you realize that in order for me to make a bigger impact down the line or in five years, 10 years, 15 years beyond my company, I have to put the right people in the right seats today. And you have to look at it well beyond today. Um, and so now don't get me wrong. Like I still, my stomach still hurts if I have to let someone go. And a lot of times that's why Josh is my COO and he handles a lot of it. Um, so I realized I wasn't good at it, so I'm outsourcing it. Um, but I've just realized to put people in the right seats and let me focus on what I'm good at making money with. I'm good at ma- raising money. I'm good at systems in the background. Um, you know, I'm good at teaching things. I'm good, there's certain things I'm good at and there's things I'm horrible at, but I at least know what I'm bad at to outsource it and get it systemized with somebody else. Um, but yeah, I mean, being a, being a business owner right now, I'm just glad I went through hell for that quarter last year because I think I'd be really struggling right now. Now it is what it is. Like I have to make changes. I have to adapt. And if someone has an issue with it, whether they're on my team or someone else watching, like I'm just trying to do what I can, you know, prepare for this is going to last a year. Um, And everyone else should be preparing for that. And that's why we're not hurting because we're prepping and being proactive.
1: The A Game Podcast is sponsored by Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you're looking for competitive rates and terms for your real estate investments, you have found the right place. Have credit or full doc issues? No problem. Nationwide Business Capital Group has access to over 3,100 different investor-friendly loan programs in all 50 states to fit all your lending needs. From residential deals, multifamily, fix and flips, rentals, commercial buildings, financing and refinancing, among many others, they have options for absolutely everyone. Nationwide Business Capital Group's most popular loans vary from state of income to hard money loans bank financing, bridge loans, lines of credit, or even non-recourse loan programs for financing as well as refinancing. No matter what the situation, from tons of experience to beginners or stellar credit to investors with past bankruptcies or foreclosures, Nationwide Business Capital Group is one of the most creative financing companies out there and will work around the clock to get your deals funded. Call and text Marianne today at 513-638-3654 or email morse, M-O-R-S-E, at nationwidebcg.com to discuss your options. Mention the A-game podcast to receive top priority for all of your funding needs. Pick up the phone and find out what makes Nationwide Business Capital Group different from all the rest, especially in these hard times. If you are looking for a lender who's still lending, still getting deals done, Nationwide Business Capital Group should be your first stop. I love that. You you hit on so many great things there. One of them being, um, again, one of the things that I really appreciate about you what I have learned is just like you did with, with getting mentors is I've had good mentors and I've had bad mentors. And unfortunately, you don't know that they're bad mentors when you hire them. You find out when all your stuff starts going wrong and then they really can't help you and all that stuff kind of comes to light. So for me, again, I, I've been around through the correction and I feel like I have a lot of real estate knowledge, but that whole part with the systems was really the difference between just being a guy who does real estate and being somebody who actually runs a business and, and that whole part of it I can see being very overwhelming which for me it is I mean I this is the longest I've gone without really like just jumping in and knocking out deals because I really took a big step back to try and learn those systems and it, it's really been frustrating and it really sucks and it really been confusing but I feel <laughs> like I'm there now but it, like back to your point is if you don't really back up and get that foundation and, and we just literally watched a 100 million dollar business that we were part of crash because somebody else just wanted to keep going and it was like but you've had holes in your boat from the beginning you can't just keep filling it up because now it's going to sink when you have all this and you can't fix it anymore so we're really trying to lay those foundations but for people that want to get in the business and thinks it's easy they don't want to put any of that work into really set that business up so later on down the line, when we have something like we have now you can have those minor adjustments in there but coming from that um it's not an accident that you're the number one wholesaler in Columbus, Ohio. It's because you took the time to put a business together and run it and make those changes, and you know show the love when you needed to show the love and show your teeth when you needed to show the teeth. but starting out, was that something that that slowed you down or really overwhelmed you with those systems because I talk to a lot of people that are starting out right now, and once you start to get into like the like the smartphone and the Zen call and the podium and, and you've never seen that before, it is. It's a lot and it makes you just want to go. I'm I'm just gonna to go to bed or I'm just gonna you know, it's but yeah. I don't wanna just hire somebody to do it. I wanna really understand it. So like you said, when I need to come in and I, I can do those things, I can at least explain it to somebody and know what I'm talking about. So um what was your experience starting out with using all those systems that you're using today to really have your business run the way it runs?
0: Um, so I was not a system person in the beginning. I was a sales individual, and um, so what it really lo- what my our lives looked like before I systemized was I worked out of my basement, and I would wake up at six in the morning, and literally all I'd be doing from like six to nine was pulling lists, cleaning lists, deleting rows, adding columns, all this crazy stuff. I didn't have macros, so like stacking lists, like I didn't know how to do any of that. I didn't even know how to hire a virtual assistant, and actually one of the hardest things ever was hiring a virtual assistant. Um, and cause I didn't know how to train them correctly cause they weren't obviously English most of the time. And it's very difficult. You have to tell them exactly what to do. Um, and I had joined a couple other elite programs and I understood the big picture. Like I understood how it had to tick what needed to happen, but actually connecting the dots was very hard. Um, I had a lot of days of tears. Um, and it was okay to be like that when it was just me, Josh and one acquisition manager. So like, you know, you can get away with that. But if you're going to scale a team, you have to have the right tools or people are going to leave you. So phone sales, um, in the wholesale industry or any industry is probably going to be one of your biggest turnover roles. People get burned out. It is what it is. Um, and so we prepare for that. So one day I got very fortunate that someone referred me to her project manager who I now use as my virtual assistant. And I realized I need like I needed someone who could speak at a higher level as a virtual assistant, um, who understood processes and systems and not just like your 2 $3 an hour VA. And so that was what really helped me because I needed to be able to communicate with someone who understood how to go take what I needed and put it to paper and process it out. So I spent the extra money, which I wish I would have done a long time ago, and paid for a, um, a more expensive project manager. But then they now outsource it to 2 3 $4 an hour VAs. Um, and I don't think I'd be where I'm at today. And if for any reason, you know, right now his country's on lockdown, so they're slowing up a little bit too. And they, and they run a lot of my back end. They pull my list, they skip trace everything. You know, they're launching all my campaigns, tracking them, filling out my KPIs, um, anything that breaks in any of my systems, they have developers that they're handling. And th- those are things that we, like I was doing all by myself before. And I, to this day, still don't have that strength, right? Like I just knew that I had to outsource it to someone who knew how to do it and I had to pay the price. Um, So now what we do is we have like basically what we call a spot in our company and we call it um, like the technology officer, marketing manager, whatever you want to call it. And we dedicate a full salary to that spot that we would pay an American pay. And that project manager now outsources this to his whole team. And it's been well worth it for me because I don't focus, I don't spend any time on systems. I just, I just guide them and lead them. So that changed the game for me. Um, because, you know, jumping on calls with ExenCall call and all that, like, although I had to learn it myself to actually operate it yourself every day, you should not be doing, you should be outsourcing that. Um, so that way your focus on, even if you have to be an acquisition manager in the beginning, if that's what you're good at, be an acquisition manager and outsource your systems versus you sitting there trying to figure out all the lists and all that kind of stuff and put your time for, into sales. Cause one deal pays for a full year of them doing the backend. Um, and one of my biggest things I've been, I have, I have cousins, friends that are laid off right now. And they're interested in real estate. So I tell them like, if there's one thing, you know, maybe you're not a salesperson that you can get really good at is here's, I just gave them five, you know, common systems that the real estate industry uses. I said, go make yourself useful, call their lead reps and have them give you tours, explanations, let them guide you through training videos, because you'll become an asset to people who are still making money. And um so that's really how I've guided people. I mean, right now through this time if you're laid off or unemployed, like you're not the only one, so don't feel like a failure. But something you need to think about is em- business owners want to pay 1099s right now just because of what's going on. So you need to find a skill or you need to find something that you can master and make extra money with it. And even when you go back to your job after this, you'll become an asset or valuable to this industry. Um And systems are probably the hardest piece for everyone because a lot of times we get into real estate or wholesaling because we're good at sales. That's the majority of people I see. I don't see that many people that come into wholesaling because they're good at systems. They came in because they're damn good at landing a deal. Um, So my biggest takeaway of everything I've gone through over the last year is find a project manager, which you can find um, through uh, Upwork or anything. You know, they might be 30 bucks an hour, but that's okay. Because it's your, if you take your time and go land one deal, it pays for him for a year. And let him systemize your business. Let him create the process flows. Let him hire, manage, and train VAs that speak his language. And he understands how they need to be trained. So I'm a big advocate of paying a higher price tag for a project manager to lead out your back end in another country.
1: I absolutely love that. I think that's golden advice again focusing on the money making activities I think is huge and delegating out those things and you know like you said what I was what I was also going to say about the mentor thing is a lot of them are afraid to tell you about their failures and to me the biggest value I get from people isn't just this is all the money I made these are all the things I've been doing great it's tell me what doesn't work because some of them are afraid to do that and there's so many people out there that are like go into twenty markets, hire all these people, drive a Lamborghini and you know, I, I'm sure there's people out there that that's what they want, but, you know, at this stage in my life, that's that's not. And I really like the way that you really represent, I think, what the, you know, the average person is just quality of life, hard work. You don't need all this flashy stuff. You don't need to be in all these different markets. Sure, that looks great on social media, but how much are your expenses? Like, how much are you really netting at the end of the day? What, what What's really about is what's staying in your pocket. And all those things that you told us months ago about staying lean, don't waste all this extra money on marketing. These are the mistakes that you've made. Now, when everybody really needs to get lean, you're not going to have to go and restructure your whole business. So, I think that's a just such a huge thing about um, staying lean, just a business. Because Lee Kearney says it all the time: that people that run businesses they go broke making money every day because of those exact things. So, I think your business model is one of the smartest ones out there. And again, you're still pulling in six figures a month. You're the number one wholesaler in Columbus, so you don't have to have all the flash to be making all the money you're like under the radar incognito which I'm sure you prefer but <laughs> I, I love that stuff you know and um, again for business what you were saying was um you know I've been told for a long time that you you don't go change everything every day because then you can't measure what's working and what's not so again like and we've talked about it a few times that you you talk to somebody well, make we're doing all this and then you talk to them the next week we scratched all that, we're doing this now. It's yeah. like, you didn't give that that can't work. So what you're doing, like you said, you know, everything goes the same, but you can make those minor adjustments because you have enough consistency that you can see what was a fluke, what was not, what's working, what's not. And again, I think looking at those things pretty consistently and adjusting your business to those things is what helps you stay in the game instead of people just outsourcing that and checking it once every six months to a year and things like that, I think it's kind of crazy. So yeah. Um, On the the side of the business as far as wholesaling goes now, for buying properties, you obviously have a good pipeline. How many different markets are you in and what are some things you're looking at that you chose those markets and um, how have you adjusted a little bit of of that? I know some of the things I've heard you say is you're definitely looking at the margins and trying to make sure you have more meat on the bone in case you have to go sell it at more of a discount later on. But um, talk a little bit about some of the things you're looking for a good market to wholesale. And some of the adjustments that you're making on the acquisition side because of what's going on with the coronavirus.
0: So let me tell you another mistake I made last year. Um, so last year we had a buyer that was buying like 50% of our deals, and it was a hedge fund. This hedge fund is, I think, in 16 cities now. And I had happened to go to an event, I launched three other cities. They were Indianapolis, um, Kansas City, and Cincinnati. And and I also did Dayton. Um, and the reason why I launched those wasn't because I did the right analysis. It was because my hedge fund, who I'm averaging twenty five thousand dollars a deal on, is in those markets. I know exactly what they want, and like I know we fit into their process well, et cetera. So I launched those cities, and I happened to go to an event, and one of my mentors looked at me and said, "Wait, what did you do?" And I said, "Well, I launched these cities because I'm making a fortune off them um, in Columbus." And he's like, I already learned this lesson years ago. Don't ever make decisions based on hedge funds because at the flip of a switch, they can tell you that they're no longer buying and you just spent all this money on marketing. So we were very fortunate that the cities that we launched at the end of the day um, had several other big landlords there. They were, um, you know, every major city in the country was doing well before COVID. And we did well in terms of like, you know, what we spent on the market. But the mistake we made was we launched only the data that they wanted. So we were focused primarily on the type of houses that they needed. And um, and then on top of that, we also pulled the top five cash zip codes in those, which helped us a lot now that our hedge fund is no longer buying, like which is exactly what our mentor said was gonna happen. Um, so what we did was we realized Columbus in our own backyard was the highest performing market over the course of I think six months after I'd launched these. And then on top of it, we had our hedge fund knock on our door one day. We had six closings coming up where they, we were averaging about 20 grand a deal. And literally overnight, the guys, like, our president said that any wholesaler can only make five grand or back out of the deal moving forward. And I said, Well, you're already committed and in contract on these. So, like, I need to get these closed. And they said, Nope, we'll back out. And I'm like, Wait a second. So I just went from 100 and something grand to like 20 grand in a in a one phone call. And um and that's really why I I really took a step back because if you look at that mistake I made, if I would have gone to my mentor in the first place before making such a big, you know, six-figure decision on marketing. Those are the types of decisions of why it's so important that you have mentors that and keep in mind that each mentor is not going to be perfect at everything. If you hear from you know, Shack and all these other big people in the country, they have mentors for ten different things in their life. you know one might be really good at writing, one might be good at you know whatever it is, um, and they're pulling a mentor in for whatever it is that they're strong at and this This mentor of mine in particular was a systems and data guru, and he he told me several years ago they made the same mistake about pulling in or going in all these markets based on hedge funds. And one day they stopped buying for a while. And um, I wish I would have asked him before I launched all that data. Um, so that was one mistake I made. So, you know, I'm already in these cities. At the end of the day, they're great cities. We made good money. But I realized after watching the data over the course of six months, I was making more money in my own backyard. So going into this year, we made an adjustment. We stopped wholesaling these five $8,000 deals in these other cities We pulled out and just started marketing to Columbus. And then we still kept Kansas City around. We only launched very specific data in Kansas City and we have a really strong network there. And um one thing that Kansas City lacks is a good good wholesalers. So you have all these very hungry rehabbers, um, even to this day with COVID going on. Like you can get houses sold there. You have every major landlord um, that's national there. You have hedge funds, you have big cash buyers. So that has been a, a solid market for us on the side. So, I mean, we only do a few deals a month there, but they're always great deals. So if we've been pulling back and only being in Columbus. And then we also, like I said, we do about 75% of our whole tails. So in 2019, when we did about 75% um, assignments, our average deal size was 10,500. Do the math, we did a little over 160 of them. And then this year, our average profit spent a little over 30,000 a deal now. And so I can do the same value or less and make more money and have a sane life and not hire 12 people on my acquisitions team. So, you know, there's one thing that I learned personally through that experience last year with hiring that team. I'm not going to lie, it kind of jaded me a little bit. So I'm very cautious about growing too fast ever again. And, um, you know, you can make seven figures with a very small team if you have the right tools. So right now we have two acquisition managers me, Josh, who's my COO. We did have a junior AM, uh, we just let him go, and we're gonna, ha- but we are gonna hire another one. Um, and then we have our back end um, VA team who cost me just as much as like an AM base pay, and then I have an admin operations TC person, um, and she handles my rentals, getting them leased, all my TC work, etc. So, um, and you know, we're bringing in about 150. 180,000 in projected profit a month. Um, and it floats because we do wholesale So it's just a matter of when they're going to close in what given month. So now we look at things really on a quarterly basis and we have a goal on a quarterly basis. And, um, this is so far been our pet, um, the past four months have been our best performing months we've ever had in being in real estate. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate that we learned how to systemize the business. Cause I don't think that we would have been able to survive going into COVID-19. If we were at where we were at a year and a half ago, just learning the systems, you know, because that it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy just getting launched. Um, so definitely lean on your mentors during this time on whatever their strength is, because if any mentor is a good mentor right now, they understand that people that, they're, that are looking up to them need them in, right now. Like now is the time to be a leader. Now is the time to give more than you receive. People are going to remember that. I mean, they're going to remember that for years to come if you are putting out stuff or answering phone calls, et cetera. Um, and there are some people right now that are really stepping it up and like helping out their people that look out to them. So me, I'm here to help any one of my students I've had before. I will be honest. I'm also on the front line. Um, I've made a commitment to my company and my team that you'll see me the first one in and you'll see me the last one out. And I'm in my office physically, even though I'm pregnant. Um, you know, I'm I know there's a virus out there to be scared of, but I'm not living in fear and I need to be there with my team right now. So we're doing extra things. I mean, we've had a good year so far, so we're bonusing them out a little bit more this month to show our commitment. Um, we're paying our private lenders 6 months in advance interest right now to show them how we've operated in the past. Um, and we're just cutting things that don't need to be had. So personal things in my personal life. like We're cutting it out if we don't need it. And we're just prepping as if this could be a year-long thing.
1: I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner. And that's really the best way to learn. So If people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com and you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level there's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. And it's very smart business, you know? And again, I think you're obviously the leadership of being there, just like you're saying. But the thing that I think is interesting about this is I, I have been spending a lot of time listening to very smart people all week do their webinars. And I think that's cool. You know, again, even in the jujitsu community, a lot of schools are closed down. So all these guys are offering free membership to their online stuff or they're going and doing, you know, virtual classes for people and it's free as long as people are out of work. And I agree there's people that are stepping up and there's people that are giving up and you're going to remember the people that we're going to do in that stuff. And, and I think that's huge. And I've seen you post a lot of stuff like that offering help and you've been really great about answering questions and stuff. I think that's a really big deal, but the, the, you know, the difference is people are just guessing and and I've heard it everything across the board for people giving very confident opinions and it's all logical and it all makes sense and I get all that. Um, but I just don't really know what's gonna happen. So one of the things that I know I I I am personally concerned about is is doing flips. So um as far as the the whole tail, I know you've been big on doing that, and I know um I've talked a lot with a bunch of people about not doing anything that's taking permits or that's gonna be longer than 30 days because just who knows how inspections are going to get backed up or, you know, especially with where I am in the city of Chicago. I mean, that can yeah. be months and months and months. It's a nightmare. So your wholesale strategy, talk a little bit about that, because I feel like that that's a nice, safe kind of baby step into not doing like a huge fix and flip and not doing a wholesale. So you're holding a little bit longer. You are putting a little bit of work into it, but you're not doing a full out rehab and you're doubling or tripling, which you would have made on the wholesale side. But you know, in a time like this, that's probably a, the, the biggest I, I would personally go with the rehab on that. So, um, just for people who don't know what it is, talk a little bit about wholetailing and, and your, I, you know, the people have different de- definitions of what it is, but for you guys, what's your standard for a wholesale?
0: Um, so everyone has a different definition for a wholetail. So we came from doing hundred hundred. 100- hundred, hundred, $200,000 rehabs. Um, so anything under 30,000 for us personally, because we've systemized the rehab side takes us three weeks or less. Um, so what we see as a whole tail for us in our company is we can close the property and be back on the market in less than four weeks. And, you know, regardless of whatever the amount is we spent on the property, like we're in and we're on the market. And our goal is that every wholesale is sold on the market and we're paying back our lenders in less than three months. Um, and the retail market in my market has been pretty hot. And what I've, one thing that we took on, I've only lost money on one deal. And, um, that deal was a $400,000 house and we ran into a contractor issue. Long story short, um, we went, by the time we got to go list it, the price, the value of that property had gone down significantly. So when you're talking about a $400,000 house, even a, you know, five, 10% drop is significant, especially for people out there doing these massive rehabs, um, for only 30, $40,000 profit, you know, it only takes like one small switch in the market. So a year ago we decided we're only going to touch, um, properties and close it with our cash or private money if it makes sense, if for some reason it doesn't sell, we can still refinance it and cash flow off of it. So it's a double edge, you know, we have options with them. Um, so we've actually decided after renovating two of them in the last month that, Hey, this is like what ended up happening was different comps sold for significantly amount more. So we could have made more money listing them, but I also could cash out, you know, tax free just as well. So, we ended up refining them. But um, so it gives me options. I'm, I'm not stuck with something. And then think about it if you have a house that's fully renovated at an ARV of 130 140 150 and the market shifts down 5%, 10%, your hit is not that big. Um, so, we only take these on if we're clearing at least $30,000 after renovations, after full um, conservative three to four months sitting on private money, et cetera. And so, if it sells more than our conservative ARV, which almost every single one sells for 10 grand more than we actually plan just to stay conservative. Um, you know, then then we have a lot of wiggle room if the market something happens to the market. And in Columbus, and, and you guys have to make your own decisions based on what market you're in, but in Columbus, it is very hard to find a house that is renovated for 130, 140, 150 type range. Um, so even in a time like this, you know, you still have major corporations that aren't Letting people go, they're just working from home, right? So, we went and listed four houses over this last weekend. All of them were listed at 140, and every single one of them within 12 hours had 20 offers over asking. And it was wild. So, it just goes to show you that in a time where there's uncertainty or market turn, you're going to see your 250, 300, 350 type houses in our market, which might be, you know, 600 in California or whatever it is. But in our market, that's the stuff where people are pulling back and they're scared. They're dropping out on contracts because they just don't know what's going to happen. Now, the people still with jobs and um, making decent money, like that $131,41,50, it's going to be hard for them to come by again with these low interest rates. So, those are still flying off the shelf right now. So, that has really been our strategy. Also, in our market, condos have become very hard to find. Where if you go to like, you know, some other major urban areas, condos are what everyone buys, right? Like here, it's not as easy to find condos that are on the first story and they're a ranch for older people. So, um, I think three out of our next several listings coming up are condos. Um, we had planned them with 130, 135 ARVs, and we've sold all of them for 155 so far in this last week. So um so you just have to understand your market. You need to understand what inventory short, what are people looking for? What's that affordable price range? Cause I will, I think forever for the remainder of time, no matter what market it is, I will always focus on affordable housing. Um, because then, you know, you're talking about like being in line with what more than likely the government's in line with We You got to make things affordable for the everyday American. Um, so that's really been our strategy and it's one for us, you know, like, I'm more excited right now for wholesales than I am assignments because 85% of my buyers on assignments are backing out of uncertainty or they're using hard money. And, um, so what we recently did as a strategy is we went to our market and we created a new buyer's list this week. And we basically said, you're not allowed on this buyer's list unless you are actually buying today. And I need to see proof that you have your own cash. And if you don't have your own cash, you're not on my list. So, um, we've got about, you know, only 14, 15 people out of my thousands in Columbus so far that I'm letting on this list. Um, and I swear if I send out properties and they don't buy them, they're off the list. So I made it very clear to them and you know me well, I, I did my phone calls and I said, look, I swear if I send something out at the criteria you're telling me and you don't buy it, I will never send you a deal for the remainder of time. So that's how serious I am right now. And I don't care if they say no, right? No is okay. But I need to be working with serious cash buyers right now. And so I need them to tell me their real criteria so that we we can continue to operate as a company. So if that means you're buying at 50% ARV minus repairs, you know, whatever that is, I need to know that criteria. So I put it in contract at a price that either works for me or I know works for them. Like I want no, you know, every wholesaler should put every contract in place with an intent to close. And so we close 75% of our deals and we assign now 25% of them. And, And for those assignments, we know specifically what our buyers want and typically have it sold before it even gets in contract because we know what they want and what they're looking for. So it's more important now than ever that you're making calls to your buyers You're weeding out the ones that don't have the real cash in a time like this. And you're focusing on the ones that do have the cash, but they might have stricter criteria now. So, I mean, we have people right now that are buying, but they're buying at like 50 cents on the dollar instead of, you know, 70%. Uh, So it's been very difficult to put deals in contract because people right now, at least the feedback I'm getting, um, is that sellers aren't quite there yet in the market to be highly motivated due to COVID. You know, you have people that are motivated no matter what, regardless of COVID. Um, but I haven't seen it yet because at the end of the day, a lot of these people's mortgages are deferring their payments. It's not hitting their credit. And it's not going to for at least six months. I mean, the, Fannie, Freddie came out yesterday and said that they'll defer even 12 months. So it's like, so I mean, that's eventually going to have a bigger impact on the economy overall. Um, but people aren't going to be impacted by this right away.
1: Agree. I think that's all great. And then again, touching with that buyer's list, I think it's huge. One of my concerns that I'm looking at, I know you talked about April 1st, seeing what people are going to do with their rent, but on the whole tail side, I saw it last time that what started to trickle things down was that the retail buyers weren't getting the funding. So that's one of the things that I'm looking for is like 30, 60, 90 days from now, when all these rehabbers are putting their properties on the market, are their buyers going to get the funding? Because if their buyers stop getting the funding, Then they're going to stop buying and then i like what you said because if you're buying in the ranges for affordable middle-income homes that you can put a tenant in there at least you know your backup strategy especially make your private lenders feel good is you're not sitting on an empty house you're in a price range that you can now go refinance and hold it as rentals because all that's going to shift now is instead of you wholesaling properties to people that are going to rehab and sell you're going to be wholesaling to people that are going to buy and hold so there's always a way to make money in real estate, but it's, it's like you said, you have to make sure you're keeping the pulse and you're having those conversations and, and you're adjusting with it because, I mean, I've seen this whole cycle go and there's people that made millions of dollars in every single cycle. It's the people who were forced to like, I'm only going to do it my way and this way and, and this is it. And those are the ones like the blockbuster videos that become dinosaurs and Netflix walks all over them. Um, I don't want to take- But too one much- thing
0: real quick on the whole yeah. tale, Nick, is uh, I forgot to mention this. If you focus on affordable prices and you put them in top 10 school districts, because even if there is a time like this and people can't obtain financing, you're going to have people, well, in the big cities anyways, in your top 20 MSAs of the country, they're going to have plenty of people still working and can get um, loans and they're going to be looking for affordable housing during this time. Um, so that's another thing we focus on is the majority of ours are all in like the top, I would say even five school districts in the city.
1: That's awesome. That's great info. Um, I know you do, you do coaching, you do mentoring, you do a lot of different things. One thing I I like to ask because you really put yourself out there on social media and, um, it's, I think everybody thinks that a lot of the people that are out there that are giving information and giving content love to be on camera and love to be in, and it's usually not the case when I talk to people. And, um, you know, even yesterday I did like my first webinar and I felt like the biggest asshole even putting up like, oh, I'm going to do a webinar. And then when people got on, I was like, why would these people even want to hear what I have to say? And um, even doing the podcast, like I was really nervous to do that. And, but at the end of the day, that, that's part of what the business has become and it's part of what you have to grow. And for every person that sends me a message and goes, you know what, I, I got something out of that, like that feels really good but there could be a hundred people that write to me and go, that was great. That helped me, or that made me money or whatever. But I still get so bummed out and upset when I see one dickhead that I've never even met that's using a face name that has some fake emoji picture, saying something stupid or, you know what I mean? Like it just, it's very hard when you're putting yourself out there to not let the negative or the, the idiots out there and their stupid posts or their like cheap shots at you for something that doesn't even have to do real estate affect you. And again, you said you're a sensitive person. Um, how are you dealing with that? Are you even seeing that maybe it's different for you than it is for, for you know, some other people out there, but um, putting yourself out there more. How are you handling some of the positive and negatives from really being a face and being on social media and offering help?
0: Um, good question. So I used to be really offended by people that one are haters or negative people. And one thing that I changed over the, probably the last few weeks when this started the whole, um, even when China announced it, you have all these people that have their opinions on what's going on. And, um, I actually have always had this max friend limit. So if I take a look, um, every single post that I have seen on my feed that remotely has anything negative to say, and I'm telling you, some of these people are in my family. I have, (laughs) I haven't even like took in time out of my day to acknowledge it, they get unfriended immediately. Um, I've actually, you know, behind the scenes unfollowed or unfriended some very big people in the industry, because I also don't want to hear someone being on my front live feed or anything that keeps telling people that they know what's going on and you should do all these things that like, no one knows the answer. Um, and so I just keep removing like, honestly, this last couple of weeks, I've removed more people from my social media than like, I have probably my entire life put together. And I just don't have time for it. This is a time where I think you if you saw, you know, um, John Maxwell came out and talked about crisis on his uh, social media recently, and it really hit hard to me. Because sometimes people are saying, you know, crisis develops or creates leaders all this no it doesn't it reveals if a leader's actually been prepared for a crisis so it reveals your character it reveals everything about you as a leader and um i i'll never pretend to be perfect i i am a very direct person i'm and i'm a very frontline person so um i want to give positive feedback during this time and at the end of the day like i'm focused on being on the phones being on the front line I'm pregnant right now. So like I'm taking a lot of risks on behalf of my team so that I can keep feeding their families. I'm still going out to properties. I'm still doing things to keep things going because at the end of the day, like it's up to me to keep this going. Me and Josh, I should say. And um, you know, I want to put content out there. I was very apprehensive at first to really be doing anything. Um, you know, I do have a virtual group that you've been a part of where I teach systems and all that. I completely cut it off for April. And the reason being is because I'm honestly personally very uncomfortable right now with promoting anything that costs money. And I've had so many people come to me and needing to learn subject twos, for example. I mean, that's how I got started in the business. And it's more than likely in the next six to 12 months going to be a great strategy. So I just slashed that in half because I'm like, I don't want to be promoting anything that, you know, people need to go spend all this money for. Um, and I just like, I wouldn't even jump on it because I want to do what's in the best interest of people following me and people that are following me need to see one thing. And that's that I'm on the front line right now. And that's what I want you to know and see is that the last thing a leader should be doing in this time, if they have a team and they're like, you know, it's not just them or a one or two man show is you need to be leading by example. So if you're on people's asses and they're already living in fear anyways, because of everything going on and all the media you need to put their fear at ease that at least their leader is putting their best effort in, you know? Um, and that's what I'm doing. So that's what I'm going to continue to do. I'm going I am as a coaching piece, um, starting next week. Like I'm going to start getting in my group probably on a, every other day basis. Um, we're combining the subject to people with the group that you're in actually. And, um, so anyone that's already in my group is just going to get all that content regardless. So we're just going to be going over every other day, like a different example that we've done on how you take over creative financing, because it's going to be something that everyone needs to learn. I'm not even a creative financing guru, but I, you know, I've done quite enough subject twos that I have something to add value in. Um, so these are just things that I'm adapting, adjusting. I'm not pushing this over here because you know, I personally don't think someone should be jumping into the business right away right now if they've never been in it. So I'm going to focus on diversifying the people who already are involved with me on how they're getting deals done. Um, so I don't know. It's just a personal take on it. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends, mentors in the industry that that's their primary focus right now is just pushing out content like all day, every day. That's their, that's their strategy. Cause you know, obviously it creates cash flow. They probably got time on their hands, you know things like that um, but I'm not I am on the front line, I'm learning how to get back on the phones because I don't normally do that anymore um and then from a coaching perspective, you know I'm gonna put out as much as I can on creative deals so that way people in my group can get familiar with how to um, at least Google the right things, YouTube the right things once you learn the terminology so that's what we're doing right now, and um, I'll adjust again after we have a little bit more certainty and I feel more comfortable pitching or going after, um, you know, what we're, what our primary strength is, which is systems. So you've been there, you've been at my, um, event. We do have like a a two day thing at my office. We keep it very small, very intimate. We go over my systems from the back to the front. Um, and we go over a heavy acquisitions piece in there. Um, but we're, we're putting all that on pause right now and focusing on our own team.
1: If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests, and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. it only take a minute. I appreciate it if you guys could take the time. It would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you. That's awesome. You know, um, I, I read your post when you said that you were unfriending or unfollowing anybody that had negativity on there. And I just thought it was brilliant because it's like you said, at a time like this, there's people that are trying to capitalize on that, but it's just exhausting all day long listening to all of these people. And again, like. Don't pretend you have the answer because nobody does yet. Like you can have, like, there are some people that I saw give a really good opinions on and they were very honest. Like, I don't know, but here's what I think and here's some different things. And then there's other people that are just doom and gloom and negativity. And it's just, it wears you down so bad. So I think especially like you said, when you need to keep your foot your forward and you need to keep your positivity up, not only for yourself, but for your teams. Cutting that out of your feeds, I, I just think it's such a smart thing, and um you know on, on the behalf of the stuff that you've done and I get a lot out of the stuff you do, the live feeds that you put on, the Facebook lives, um the videos for your group are outstanding, your mentorship's outstanding, and I do appreciate it for people that don't really run a, run their business, even me trying to like do a podcast and then edit the podcast and do the social assets, but also Like I have to run my business. I have my land development thing. I'm still learning the systems there. I got to get back on the phones next week while people are home. Like people that are taking the time to do the content and are also on the front lines running their business right now, they're doing that to give back. And especially like you said, you're cutting your coaching program. You don't have to do that stuff, but you're doing it to give a service and be a leader and give content to help people that could really use it right now. And I, I very much respect that and I very much appreciate that. And I don't think, a lot of people realize how much extra work that is that you're just doing that um, you know, I think is awesome. And at a time that there is a crisis and a recession and things are going on, in 2005, there wasn't Facebook groups and there wasn't Zooms and things like that that you had somebody to relate things to and talk to and talk about the business. And I think that's really gonna be one of the things that if you focus on good people and good relationships and people that are on the front lines like yourself, and that's who you follow and that's who you listen to, I think that if enough people do that, it is going to keep things from ever going back to that huge crash we saw in 2005 because there's so much more of, an, of a, a group and a, a community all, among real estate investors of all levels that I think we can all really make it through and help each other. So I yeah, appreciate I mean, the this- big
0: thing with that is the community. I, um, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you. I've actually never watched the news in a year until this happened. And so I'm not used to the negativity that I'm watching. And I mean, I've had my own... Fears, my own, like I'm. You know, I don't don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm scared. I'm gonna have to lay someone off that I don't want to lay off. Or I'm scared that I'm not gonna get paid rent. You know, these are things that I know could be coming. And it has been insanely important for me that I've been able to pick up the phone, call someone in the industry or another industry, a business owner that I trust. One, I can tell them anything, and I can get solid, sound, positive advice. And, um, so when anyone calls me right now and is, I mean, you have to lean on your friends and peers, like you can't go through this with, you know, everyone has a little bit of uncertainty, um, and making sure that it's the person that by the time you get off that phone call that you took something out of it. And so it's more important now than ever, whether you're a friend of someone in the industry, you're a coach you're a mentor, um, or you're in a community that you give back positive feedback and you're there for people around you. Cause this isn't like an us against you or me against you type situation. It's not oh late where who prepared and who didn't like this is everyone's going through it. Um, and there are days when this first came out that I had never watched the news. I started watching the news and I was like, Holy shit, there's so much negativity in this stuff. And I called um, one of my really good friends. He's 26. He has a $30 million a year business. I mean, I was crying my eyes out. And I'm like, oh my God, what if I have to cut all these people? What if I, no one pays rent? And he's like, Tiffany, who cares? Like, you'll survive. Every business owner is going through this, right? So start looking at deferring your payment. Start looking at ways that you can be proactive to prepare for this to last. And so now I've just taken on the mindset that you just got to be proactive. Like, we're all going to have to make tough decisions. We all got to try to figure out how to make cash flow work. Um, it will reveal who be- who came in as prepared as possible. But one thing that this is going to create for people like the Tim Bratz out there and things like that, that guy couldn't predict this. That, you know what I mean? Like, there are going to be people that um, get greatly impacted and might even fail through this that will be, that will make him an even better speaker and even better coach and even better because he has no control over this. People that are, you know, Grant Cardone, these people, um, I'm sure there's going to be some way somehow that they're going to get through this, but they're the people I'm going to be calling in a year for advice because they went through it. Um, so just remember that people, your neighbors, your people across the street, like everyone's going through this in some way. Um, fashion or form. And you just need to be a part of, you know, you need to remember you're in a community and you need to support everyone and definitely don't judge people right now because this is not the time to judge. It's just the time to give a helping hand.
1: 100%. You don't kick somebody when they're down. I think that's great advice. Um, So how do people find you? Um, Facebook, Instagram, websites, any type of thing? I know your coaching's on hold right now, but um, any ways that people can kind of connect with you and know when you're going to be back up and running? Working deals, doing deals, getting content. How do people connect with you?
0: Um, so I am my personal Facebook page is Tiffany High. Um, I have an Instagram that's Tiffany High Official. Um, I do I am going to actually today be launching my subject two course. I took some time to slash the price and all that stuff. Um, if you're already in my group, you're getting it today regardless. Um, so you, if you're already in my student group, we will be including you into everything we're or going over over the next month or two. Um, and it's just my way to give back to everyone in my group. So really my focus um, coming up is going to be around uh, this subject two thing and just helping people get creative. And that's how they can get into our community. Um, and that I'll be posting that on my personal page. You, you're always welcome to privately DM me, um, whether it's Instagram or Facebook. And we can have a conversation from there. Um, You have my contact information as well if you ever want to send someone to me as well directly. Um, But right now, my focus from a content um, and coaching perspective is really to, if I do have something to offer you, it's going to be one affordable uh, and get you in the community. So that way we can just as a team go over creative deals, um, systems, all that kind of stuff. I will probably launch my four-week system accelerator. We call it the virtual group. Um, again in May and I will also have my in-person in office as of now in May for two days again Um, but obviously COVID can impact that we are being very cautious with that because we have it at our office and we need to make sure we're not putting our employees at risk Um, so if you are interested in any of that you know Nick's been in my community reach out to him you can ask him for his take on things um, but right now my primary focus is my own team, you know, getting through this, getting paid rents, um, and then giving back today on the subject too. So, uh, again, if you're already in my community, you're getting, get, getting a link to it regardless today. It's a surprise. You don't even know that. <laughs> um, so watch for the dropout on that and, uh, yeah, just, just DM me. Um, and I do have a company email. It's heels at gmail.com H E E L S right here. Um, if you want to email me and we can go from there,
1: that is awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I watch your stuff all the time. Um, if you don't hear it enough, your content's awesome. Your courses are awesome. Your two day boot camp was awesome. I have learned a ton from you. You've been very responsive, very supportive. I appreciate all the stuff you're doing. Um, and I think you're a great leader and a great investor and a great person. And I have a lot of respect for you and I really appreciate you getting on and doing this. And, um, Likewise for Josh, your husband. He's a great dude. Really, really nice guy. Um, tons of great information. You guys are a dynamic duo. You guys are powerhouses. And I think you're going to be dominating this business for a long time.
0: Thank you. I love the feedback. And Josh is really the one that runs the show, by the way.
1: He's a too. <laughs> if you guys check out Josh, I, he's an amazing guy as well. I'd like to interview him at some point, too. Um, I won't take up any more of your time. I really appreciate you talking to me today and I appreciate all the stuff you've done. Uh, for me and my business personally, professionally, you're an absolute all-star. Thank you very much. Tiffany, hi, everybody.